I'd like to minister for a few minutes from uh, a passage of Scripture that uh, is probably one of the misunderstood parables that uh, is uh, in the Word of God. I was reading uh, this past week concerning heresy, that heresy is not truth that has been rejected for pagan philosophy, but heresy is truth out of focus. In other words, it's truth that you have misapplied or truth that you have caused to be out of balance with the whole of truth. That's what heresy is. See, some people have the idea that if you're a heretic, you'll be frothing at the mouth and uh, be running around with uh, fleas in your hair and that you'll be a heretic. But that isn't what a heretic is. A heretic is a person that has taken truth and has pulled it out of focus with a hole and has caused it to be destructive rather than creative. In the book of Luke, we're told about the, the uh, Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, Luke 2.52, that Jesus grew in wisdom, he grew intellectually, he grew in stature, he grew physically, and he grew in favor with God, his relationship with God, and he grew socially in favor with man. And so we see there's a picture of the balanced life, and there's an instruction for you and I in the Word of God that we're to have a balanced life. And probably one of the greatest uh, attacks that the church uh, receives from the devil is to take truth and to... There's a, there's a fad. There's fads that always keep blowing to the church, and uh, there's fads. Presently, the church is on a faith possession kick. Uh, confess it and you'll possess it. Well, uh, I have news for you. You may possess it if it's in the will of God. If it's not the will of God, well, you're going to be embarrassed at the, at the least. And at the worst, you'll be often disappointed or destructive to lives and so on and so forth. I have a book that uh, all of you who are Bible students, disciples, you need to obtain the book. It's called From the Pinnacle of the Temple by Charles Farah, Faith of Presumption, one of the best books been written in years, deals with the subject, and uh, we'll be having some for the discipleship to read a little later this week. But if you would be a part of your permanent library, it'd be a very valuable book. And uh, I want to allude perhaps to that this morning, uh, but maybe preach later. But I want to use for a verse of Scripture, Matthew 25, 14, and minister to you some uh, facets of truth that will bless you this morning and help you give uh, an understanding to a balanced life. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods, and unto one... He gave five talents. Now, talent is $29,000. This is uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the setting in which he gave it. A talent to them was a sum of money. And it doesn't mean ability to play a piano or trumpet or uh, throw frisbee or any of those things. A talent. So this is one of those things that English language has changed. And uh, so you need to understand that what he's speaking directly to is a sum of money, some $29,000, and so you give you an understanding of the Scripture. Under one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went, traded with the same, made them other five talents. Likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. He that received one went and digged in the earth, hid his Lord's money, and after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, 
Thou deliveredst unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done. Thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful or lazy servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanges, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury or with interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which has ten talents. For unto every one that has shall be given and shall have abundance, but from him that has not shall be taken away even which he has, and cast to the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to consider with you for a moment the human concept that many people have of God that we can uh, gain from this passage of Scripture. It's a very critical point. Because you and I, according to the image that we have of God, whatever we think God is, and our conception of God, we become like and we tend to imitate and our nature takes on the attributes of the God that we're worshiping. And so it's very critical this morning that we understand and have a right concept of God that is not a human concept, but is a concept that comes from the revelation of the Word of God. Back in the Old Testament, we have uh, constantly... These, uh, these gods appearing, the god Baal and the god Ashtoreth. And uh, we studied this in, and came across this in the altars of God. Baal was a, a male god of fertility. Ashtoreth was a female, uh, his female consort. And uh, they were for fertility gods. They were responsible for the, the, uh, the fermentation of the seed and the, and the bringing forth of crops for the multiplication of herds, uh, and they were responsible for human reproduction, and so they were worshipped as such. But as they came to worship at the altars of each of these places, they had male and female prostitutes who were in the service of Baal and Ashtoreth, and a part of their worship was that they were involved in licentious and ungodly sexual impure rites. And uh, so as a consequence, the people who were involved in Baal worship and Ashtoreth worship became lustful, they became filthy, they became impure because the gods that they worshipped were impure. You and I become like the gods that we worship. I was down in the city the other day, and I saw this fellow came in. He had a uh, white uh, piece of gauze wrapped around his body with a white bandage around his head, trying to look like an Indian. He wasn't an Indian. He was American. But in his concept of God, to him this was being spiritual if he looked like an idiot running around with gauze wrapped on his, around his head with a sarong on. 
to him, this was being very spiritual. He's kind of like the folks that wear these funny clothes and the color turned around backward and all these things. You know? well, the reason they do that is because they think that makes them spiritual. has nothing to do with the gospel. No relationship to the gospel. Find it nowhere there. But you see, you and I, when we have a concept of God, we tend to imitate that concept, and whatever we think makes us spiritual, then we try to uh, take on the outward uh, accoutrements or the attributes or the habits or the attitudes that, that our God has, and we do that so that we'll be spiritual. So here we have a human concept of God. In this parable is a human concept that many people have of God, and here's a result of a man uh, and a woman who has uh, poverty of mind. He said of God, God is a hard man, reaping where he has not sown and gathering where he has not spread. He said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man. I knew that you were one who gathered that which you did not sow and that you reaped that which you had not planted. And so I took your money and I hid it in the earth because after all, what use is it of me going out and working because you're going to take it from me anyway? See, a lot of people have the idea about God that God wants to make us miserable. He wants to take everything from us that we have. Doesn't do any good uh, to labor for fruits uh, and rewards uh, and to earn money or to, to uh, better ourselves intellectually or to educate ourselves or to get a better job or to try. Because uh, after all, God wants us to be miserable and He'll just take any benefit that we have anyway. A lot of people have that idea of God. Don't tell me they don't, because they do. A lot of people have the idea. They have a wrong concept of God, that God simply wants you and I to get saved, and when we get saved, He wants to make us as miserable as we can be, and the more miserable He can make us, the more spiritual that we are. That's not an odd thought at all. That's why people in India lay on beds of nails and go through, walk on glass, and all this kind of garbage is because they're being spiritual. The more miserable that they are, the more spiritual they are. The more they're suffering in their flesh, the more they're denying themselves, then the more spiritual they are. That's their idea of how their God wants them to be. And so they act like that. And a lot of people have the idea that when you follow Jesus, that's how you ought to be. And so it's produced a certain attitude of mind, and their concept of God is a concept of the poverty of mind. I use an illustration that I really would like to use again. I used it some years ago, and uh, it'll bear uh, upon the subject. And the title of it is, I Just Play It Safe. So said the Georgia farmer sitting ragged and barefooted on the steps of his tumble-down shack. A stranger had stopped for a drink of water and asked, How's your cotton doing? Ain't got none, replied the farmer. Did you plant any, asked the stranger. Nope, was the reply, afraid of bull weevils. Well, considered the visitor, how's your corn? Didn't plant none, came the answer. Afraid there weren't going to be no rain. The visitor persevered. Well, how are your potatoes? Ain't got none. Scared of potato bugs. Really? What did you plant, pressed the stranger? Nothing, was the calm reply. I just plant it safe. See, there's a poverty of mind 
that comes. And this man in our parable had that poverty of mind. He saw his master as being an unjust master who did not want his subjects to have the rewards of their labor, but it wouldn't do him any good to go out and do business or to work or to do labor, because if he did, his master would come take it from him. And so he said, there's no use working because I can't get ahead working. Listen very carefully because I'm coming to a very striking point in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, many, many people see this as Christianity. They'll pick up the Word of God. They read the story of the rich young ruler that Jesus came to and said, I want you to go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And they'll say, my God, there's no reason for me to want to be a Christian because if I, have to, if I do, I'm going to have to sell all that I have and give it to the poor. That's what it is to be a Christian. No, that's not what a Christian is. That was a particular young man that had a problem with covetousness, and the Lord Jesus on a specific occasion said to him, this is what I want you to do, so that he could bring him to a confrontation with what his problem was. Many people will read concerning the disciples that Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to take any bag, don't pack any clothes, don't take any purse, and don't take any money. I'm going to send you out. And he sent them out for a few days, and they came back, and they lacked for nothing. But when he commissioned the disciples in Luke 19, he said, Now both pack your bag, put money in your purse, put a sword upon your side, and go forth and preach the gospel. But people will take a little piece of the gospel and pull it out and interpret that as being a part of the gospel. And they say, my God, if I get saved, I'm going to have to just go about. I can't worry about making a living. I just have to live by faith. I just have to uh, wander around like a nomad. And that's what it is to be a Christian. This is a poverty of mind that because people have misinterpreted the Word of God, they do not see a vital factor that is there. And so they miss the entire concept of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Like the little girl. She was in, in with her grandma on Sunday, and uh, she was playing and laughing and having a good time. And, and her mother, her grandmother, every time that, that she'd make a little bit of noise, uh, her grandmother was reading her, her big black Bible, and she'd say, Shh. The Lord said. And so the little girl, just full of life and enthusiasm, uh, was, uh, went outside, and there's the puppy and the cat, and the puppy's barking and the cat's uh, uh, playing, and she's just having a good time laughing, and Grandma comes to the door with a big black Bible and says, Shh, 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 shh. So finally she went down to the barn, and there's the old mule looking over the fence. And the little girl looked and said, you got Grandma, really? Some people have the idea... They have a human concept of God. This parable is such, a, is such a, a powerful parable that points up the poverty of mind of the human race that cannot understand and has no revelation of who God is, and many people see God as that. You see, there's something this morning about human dignity that is not evil, but is a part of our personhood, is a part of our personality that God has created us with the drive to achieve, with the drive to succeed, with the drive to prosper, with the drive to get ahead that is placed there by God. And it is not evil, but it is a part of the Creator's power. As a matter of fact, the regenerative process of Jesus Christ bring that to a fine honing. And I've seen hundreds that got saved. And for the first time, they had a drive and an impulse to get ahead in life. But the devil comes along 
and he says to you, now if you if you would uh, have the audacity to buy yourself a decent set of clothes, uh, why that's not spiritual. And so you feel condemned because you bought a new suit. You can blink at me like that. I'm, I'm I know where you live. Or if you would happen to be by your decent uh, transportation when you can afford it, uh, the devil comes along and says to you, you're not spiritual. Because if you were really spiritual, you'd be walking. I can remember when I was a new convert and I got saved. I, I, uh, I uh, was working on a job and, uh, and I used to eat donuts without icing because I felt that if I ate icing, I was being indulging myself. Amen. Say, well, that's odd. Well, it's not so odd. It happens to thousands of people, and I could go on and on and on with other circumstances and with other illustrations just like that. Buy a milkshake, and you say, oh, dear God, forgive me. I'm, I'm indulging myself. Are you still with me this morning? You know where I'm coming from? And I will never forget how in life when I began to uh, uh, prosper somewhat, was able to buy a decent set of clothes and uh, be presentable. My family was able to be presentable in public, and I had a decent uh, uh, transportation. What a tremendous thing that it did to my personality and how it moved upon my entire personhood, and it was almost like a revolution came into my life as I was able then to identify with the normal process of society, and I was accepted among society because there's something in man not only to achieve and to succeed, but there's something to be socially accepted and something happened to me. But you see, this man has a wrong concept of God. His concept of God is uh, it doesn't do him any good to work. It doesn't do him any good to prosper. It doesn't do him any good to achieve because God will just take it away from him anyway. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. I'm striking right at the root. I don't know why I'm preaching this this morning, but somebody in here, God's dealing with your heart, and he's speaking to you concerning the real gospel and not what somebody told you that the gospel was. Well, let's go on for a moment. We need a revelation of God. See, the Creator's plan this morning is uh, that we would have an ambition to succeed and that there's a creativity in our nature to succeed and to constantly be in life, uh, uh, getting ahead and involved in life and to, ch to achieve in life. This is why many people, that uh, they retire, and one, two, three years after they retire, they die because they just sat down, sit in front of the boob tube, or go uh, uh, out on the lake and sit with a fishing pole in the water, do nothing, disengage their mind, and in three or four years they're dead, and over and over again, sociologists are telling us, don't ever quit being involved. And they're saying now that we need to keep people working because when we keep them working, we keep them involved and they stay alive because God has placed something within us to achieve and to create and human development. It is important as a part of the Creator's plan. I was reading in the Reader's Digest an interesting article, uh, just a, a short article, and uh, the little article said the things that you learn after you know it all. I said, praise God, I need to read that. Amen. And the essence of it was that you should never come to the place uh, where you assume that you know it all but need to always keep your mind active and stay learning and stay involved. This is what the Word of God says. Ephesians 1, 17 says that, Paul says, I pray to God that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
Now, let's come back then to the scripture that we read. Work this morning, and industry is God's gift to man. Now, that's a brand new doctrine to some of you sitting here. Because I've got people sitting here that you're dreading tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off, coming out of the rack and hitting the floor. Oh, dear God. Monday again. Monday. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Girls get married so they don't have to go to work. <laughs> don't tell me. I know that you do. But work is God's gift to man. To be involved in the industry of life, to be involved in the in the in the uh, the processes of life, uh, to be industrious is God's gift to man. And this scripture says uh, that this man, uh, these men, went and traded, uh, and they took what God had placed in their hands, uh, and they took it out into the marketplace uh, of life. The reason this is so is because work is vital to the human development. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. To be involved in the affairs of life, to be involved in the business of life, to be involved in work in life is vital to human well-being. And in the Gospel of Luke, the same parable, he uses the word occupy till I come or do business until I come. And it's an important part of life that you and I never come to the place where we disregard work as being an honorable occupation, where we never come to work and view it as being something that is enslaving, something that is not ennobling, something that is not worthwhile, but work is one of the greatest gifts that God ever gives to the human heart. Now, I know some of you don't believe that, but you just stay with me a while, and I'm declaring that it is so, and I wasn't born yesterday, and I declare to you that it is so. You stay with me, and, and, uh, and I'll show you a couple of things in the Word of God. Somebody said to Martin Luther, Martin Luther, he was out planting an apple tree, they said, Martin Luther, why, why are you planting that apple tree? Don't you know that Jesus is coming and uh, that apple tree will never have a chance to bear apples? And Martin Luther said, if I knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, I'd still plant my apple tree. Because there's something about what God has given as Creator to you and I that there is an imbalance uh, and there's a deadly factor uh, that uh, comes uh, in imbalance uh, and in human development when there's a lack uh, of industry and when there's a lack of uh, involvement of the human personality. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine this morning? Now, I started out, I'm just going to touch on this. I'm going to come back to this in a later sermon sometime because we're on this big kick that all you have to do if you believe in Jesus, if you're a child of the King, is you just confess it and you'll possess it. Can you, can you imagine how terrible life would be if that were true? Cadillac! <coughs> Jaguar! <coughs> Four-bath ba home! <coughs> Five-bath home! <coughs> so here's people, and in about three days, they've exhausted all every desire that they ever had. Isn't this true? See how absurd that is? Just confess it. Jesus, I want a Cadillac. Jaguar. Ten-bedroom home. And so here's a bunch of people, and man, it's just piling up, and it's everywhere. And here's a bunch of people, about three days, there's nothing else left in life to do. Isn't that absurd? The reason it's absurd because it isn't true. Nowhere in the Word of God does God say to you, 
that from human desire, you're just going to say, God, this is what I want. There's, there's idiots that are, that are saying that uh, you want a thousand-member church. You just say, thousand-member church. And man, God just comes to work, and the angels of God just start working as fast as they can. A thousand-member church. Well, uh, maybe a thousand-member. God may only want a 50-member in that community. And if he does, that's what he's going to have. See, we don't dictate to God. We're not gods of our own lives. And can you imagine? You know, here's the, here's the four-square pastor, thousand-member church. Baptist pastor sees that's a two-thousand-member. Assembly of God sees that's a three-thousand-member. And so here we are. We're just confessing, and man, I mean, we are flat going to town. That's all it takes. Isn't that absurd? Well, that's exactly what's being preached and proclaimed by many people on the boob tube that is saturating America with the insanity that it is not the Word of God ministering to human ego. It is not God's plan. Look again at the Scripture with me, if you will. You see, work is industry uh, and given to, to man, and it's God's gift to man. And uh, as a matter of fact, in the book of uh, Genesis, uh, there's some tremendous words, uh, and it says, I curse the ground for your sake. The reason he cursed the ground for our sakes is a very high spiritual working that man is working in the heart of man so that man can just sit around and say, Cadillac, Jaguar. But he's going to have to go out into earth. He's going to have to become involved in common labor. And in that labor, God is doing something in his personality and his development that has eternal ramification. Even before the fall, he said to Adam, when he placed him in the garden, I want you to dress it, I want you to keep it, I want you to have dominion over it. And there's something about work, beloved, that is a gift of God, and this is especially so to fallen man. God has given fallen man labor, and he cursed the ground for our sake. And he did that for a reason. And the reason that he did that was the very subject that I'm talking about this morning. Proverbs 6, 6 says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and learn her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her food in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? And he says again in Proverbs 10, 4, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. You see, the Bible is a book of balance. And in the Bible, we have illustration after illustration that bring us to the understanding that we need to take what God gives us in creation out into the marketplaces of life. And being a Christian means that we're responsible as the stewards of God to become involved in the affairs of life. And in the affairs of life, we begin to exercise our, our, our stewardship and we begin to become involved because there's a revelation that comes from God and that revelation is that work is God's gift to man. Here's Jabez, if you want to use an illustration. And I'm going to move to something that will nail us down in a moment. Here's Jabez. You'll find him in First Chronicles 4, 9 and 10. The Bible tells him he had a bad beginning and he had a destiny that went against him and I spent a lot of time for that. But the Bible declares that Jabez would not accept 
the circumstances that he was in, but by faith he laid hold of God, and he asked God to bless him indeed, and extend these borders, and to multiply him, and to bring him deliverance, and it was in the affairs of life, and it had to do with how he made his living, and with the material possessions that he, that he, that he was involved in. Here we have Jephthah. Jephthah is an interesting uh, character out of the Old Testament, son of a harlot, rejected by his brethren. But he refused to allow, just like Jabez, he refused to allow uh, poverty of mind to come in. He began to exercise his faith in God, but faith in God didn't cause him to transcend under a dimension up here where he was totally unconnected with life. But in life, he began to exercise, and God brought them both into an inheritance that had to do with the circumstances of life. And so you need a revelation of God. That revelation of God is that God has given us industry to perform. God has given you and I tasks that have to do with life, and we discovered many years ago that when people just simply took their Bibles and said, oh, I'm not going to get a job, I'm going to live by faith, I'm going to take my Bible and my bedroll, I'm just going to study and pray and become spiritual, we found out, and we didn't understand why, but we understood none of those people ever progressed or made it. They just got really kinky and finally fell by the wayside. But it was the people who held down a job, Learn to work on a job, learn to discipline their mind and their body on a job, serve God, then in the, in the other times, be a witness, share with their subject. We found that those people strangely develop and begin to project, and many of them in their ministry today, I can't tell you of a single one who was super spiritual and who was just going to read and pray and uh, study and get spiritual. I don't know a single one that today is even living for God. You see, we need a revelation of God. And that revelation of God brings us to an understanding that there's something in life, and that something in life is that God lays into our hands the opportunities in life to become involved in the industry, in the work, in the common affairs of life, and there's something ennobling, there's something that is of stewardship, there's something important, there's something that God is working out in our life that has to do with going to, on a job or having a business or being involved in the business affairs of life, and it has to do with the kingdom of God, and when you properly understand God, you understand that something that God's doing of human development is related to that. Oh, man, you just get translated, and you're in a whole different world, and all you have to do is just to, is just to have the right formula and the right attitude, and man, uh, big uh, gold pieces start falling from heaven, and, and things just start happening, and, and meat is on the table, and your, your tank is full of gas all the time, and your bank account grows uh, uh, without even understanding. Uh, that's not what the kingdom of God is all about. Neither is it Christianity. There's something about you and I with our industry being involved that God's doing something in our hearts. Am I coming through it all this morning? Okay, third, I want to uh, note one more thing. And this passage of Scripture uh, gives us, and that uh, is it notes God as a blesser. Now, from the earliest revelation of Scripture, we, we begin to see something that is, uh, that is very powerful. And uh, we're told that uh, in the Scripture, that blessing is always expressed in increased growth, it's always in, expressed in multiplication. It's expressed in fruitfulness. And this is a part of God being blessed. Genesis says in 128, He said to Adam and Eve, And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over it. And He told uh, Noah in Genesis 9:1, God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. Now, 
This is not as a magical formula. But you find in all these places that God is revealed as blesser that it is as we labor in His will. In other words, what I'm saying is that we say, God is my blesser. God's going to bless me. It doesn't mean now that He's going to bless us and we've got a magical formula. And that magical formula means that we circumvent all the laws of nature, all the laws of life, all the rules of creation. And now we've got a hotline to heaven and, we're not, and, and it just circumvents all of life. It doesn't mean that. It means that now God blesses, listen carefully to me, our labors as we labor in His will. And in the Scripture that we have, here we have a story. We have a man who had to receive five talents, $107,000. Here we have a, a, about $150,000, Here's one who received two talents, somewhere around uh, $60,000. Here's a man who received one talent, somewhere around $30,000. One man who invests his, uses his, he becomes involved in the marketplace of life, and uh, out of this uh, he gains five other talents. Uh, the other invests his two, and he's, in, uh, he's, uh, he's gained other two. But one hides his in the earth, uh, and as he hides uh, his in the earth, uh, then uh, he, the master comes back and then begins to examine them concerning their stewardship in the affairs of life. He says to the one, uh, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. Uh, you gave me five talents. I've gained other five talents besides. Uh, and he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Notice that. Be thou ruler over ten cities. Now, this was not because uh, he had uh, discovered the magic formula of Ken Copeland, Kenneth Hagen. It was because he had been faithful as a servant. See, your blessing in the kingdom of God is not some... See, I'm astounded. Uh, every six months comes a new formula floating through. There's a new formula comes through the church. And old Hotsies, uh, Totsies uh, gets his book or his TV program, and so it comes running through, and here new convert snatches up. Oh, glory to God. Man, this is neat. Don't have to work for it anymore. <laughs> Not like common folk. Here's the answer. No, it isn't the answer, and you'll find out it isn't the answer after you've lived for God for a while, and you can save yourself a lot of time if you get in the Scripture and just really stick to it, and uh, those books don't become so important to you anymore. Be thou ruler over ten cities was as a result of his laboring in the will of God and being faithful in the will of God, said to the other, how are you doing? He said, uh, your talents have gained two talents. Uh, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant, uh, be thou ruler, and so on and so forth. And so here we find uh, that our blessing, see, God is a blesser. But our blessing is not because we have discovered a magical formula, but our blessing is because we have labored faithfully in God's work and as we have labored faithfully in life as believers in Jesus Christ. Now God is blessing us. And He's blessing us because we're faithful, not because we discovered a formula. The Bible says He blesses those who are liberal to the poor. He'll bless their occupation. Deuteronomy says, When you give to the poor, for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. God says, Because of this action, you've been obedient to my word. You've had a compassion for the poor and the needy in your midst. Then I'm going to bless your job, your occupation, everything you touch, I'm going to bless it. Not everything you think about. Not everything you confess, that which you're involved in, that which you is the industry of your hand. 
says he's going to bless our witness if we are obedient to the Word of God. Here's the story told about the seed and the, and the, and the soil, the four kinds of soil, the soil that the fowls of the air carry it off, the soil that has no root in itself but the heat of the day, it's rocky soil, the soil that is full of weeds, and then the good soil that hears in an honest and a good heart the Word of God and does it. Now he says to the man who is a witness, and as his witness in Christ is in obedience to the Word of God, he says, I'm going to bless those people, and their witness is going to produce soul. Some will produce 30, some 60, and some 100. Not because of some magic formula that they've discovered, but because they're faithful in obedience to the Word of God. Thirdly, we see in the Word of God that our relationship with our relational needs. See, we all have social needs with our fellow man. We all have material needs. Every one of us have material needs. This is that's why poverty is such a spirit. See, poverty is a spirit, friend, that seizes a hold of the mind of people and holds them into a bondage and a mentality of wrong decisions, and it's like a vicious circle. Poverty is like a vicious circle that holds man. And you and I have material needs, and you and I have social needs. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ, depending on the time frame in which we are, we may suffer some relationships. Your family may cast you out. I can't guarantee you that getting saved will always prosper in the relationship of your family, because it may not. As Brother Larry said this morning, when the Word of God comes to you, sometimes it causes tremendous division. I can't always guarantee you that if you'll obey God, that at that time frame, that you're going to have a lot of material possession. I've seen the time twice in my life where I walked off and gave away a house that I was living in that I owned because I wanted to obey the gospel and I felt the call of God. And so you could catch me at uh, that period of time and uh, material things were, were something I didn't have my hands on, I'll tell you for sure. But the Scripture says, and listen to this, in the Gospel of Mark 10, 29, and 30, there's no man that has left houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the Gospel, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Now, God says, as you and I are faithful, he will bring relationships and replace any relationship that you are robbed of in the kingdom of God and replace any material thing that you've had to sacrifice to follow Jesus. Because, not of a magic formula, but because you were faithful before God. Now, this is beyond productivity of our own labors. And I'm winding this to a conclusion. Proverbs 13, 22 says, The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. I like that, don't you? I know a lot of sinners that I'd really like to have to tap on some of that. The Bible says it's laid up for the just. That's the Scripture. Not in a magic formula, but through faithfulness. Be thou ruler over ten cities. But Lord, he's already got ten cities. It's all right. I want him to have this as a free blessing because he's been faithful and now multiplying the labors that he was faithful in. I told you the story about Hank Holton. That's a classic. I've got to share it again. 
Here's these boys down in Superior, Arizona. They run across a, a hardened sinner. He's a vile sinner. He's not just a sinner. He's a vile sinner. He's reviling them, cursing them, resisting them, railing on them, uh, contradicting everything that they have to say, has no intention of getting saved, isn't saved today. And when all of a sudden he changes, turns, and he said, I really like you, fellas, and uh, pulled out of his pocket $1,300 and said, put this in your church. The wealth of the sinner laid up for the righteous. We had some folks start a church here uh, some time ago. I can't remember how many years ago. And uh, they just came just a brief period of time. And uh, they, weren't, they weren't really uh, in favor of what we were doing. I don't know what God just touched their heart. And they were just here, and, uh, and they came to me one day and said, God spoke to us. We've got some tithe, and uh, on a house we sold, we, God told us to put it in there. I said, man, that's great. They dropped it in. They weren't here another week and a half. They were gone. $6,000. They just dropped in. And I, my, I'm, I'm looking at that. I said, well, God, you just brought them in to just cut that tithe off of them and put them in there. We didn't labor for that. Our congregation had nothing in the investment of those lives, and but God, who is at work because we were faithful in what He told us to do, He prospered us and blessed us, and He dropped that in, and we reaped that with someone else. Because we were faithful. See, it's not wrong this morning to prosper. Let me just test this before I conclude. But it's wrong this morning to have no plan for giving that includes God. We have the parable of the rich fool found in Luke. Rich man who's prospered looks at his fields. His fields bring forth his business and his industry brings forth. Remember what I said before, it is not wrong to prosper. God has given you and I the, the drive to succeed, the talent and the ability to prosper and to succeed and to succeed in business and industry. He's given that. He planted in it. And that's not wrong. What becomes wrong is when we have no plan that includes God for our prosperity. And here's the rich fool. He's blessed beyond his ability, beyond anything that he can, that he can even use. And he says, I know what I'll do. What am I going to do with all this money that God gave me? Well, I'm going to build greater barns, uh, and I'll uh, bestow my goods in these greater barns. Uh, and he said, I'll, uh, I'll live very comfortably. And the Word of God says, Thou fool, tonight your soul shall be required of you because you and I need a plan this morning to honor God. The Scripture says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open you, open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you shall not be able to contain. I rebuke the devourer for your sake. Your vines will not cast their figs, and your herds and your flocks will bring forth, because it's not wrong to prosper, but it's wrong when you do not have a plan that includes giving to God. See, God's plan, let me, let me conclude with where I've been aiming this morning. God's plan this morning in all of this is a development of a people with character to which he can delegate eternal purpose in Jesus Christ. See, something happens to you when you're faithful in life. Something happens to you this morning when you're faithful on your job, you're faithful with your material possessions, you are faithfully laboring as a steward of God. Something happens to you when God blesses you. All these processes are at work in the kingdom of God. See, someone said that, that for every hundred persons 
that will survive a, t- a severe testing and trial of life, there's only one that can survive prosperity. And so in life, God is at work in our character. See, He's not finished with us when we get saved, but He's at work in life and He's at work in our character because He's looking for a people to whom He can delegate the eternal purpose of God in Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go into that, but this morning Luke alludes to it in Luke 16, 11, when he says, If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous money, who will commit to your trust the true riches. What are the true riches? The true riches are what God is doing in eternity. Not only in life. In life, God will bless you. God will give you dominion. This is true in churches. The reason you and I are blessed in this congregation is because we have obeyed God. We're doing the will of God, not our plan, and He's blessing, and it's just multiplied. It's just as simple as that. Isn't any any genius that we have, isn't any slick move that uh, uh, that the leaders have made, but it's because we've been faithful, and because we've been faithful, God has added territorial dominion, but there, that isn't all that God wants to do. There's an eternal work that God has, and that work has to do with the faithfulness in life that we obey the will of God. Now let's get back to where I began. What God is working in life is His will day by day. That will involve how you work on your job. It involves what you do with what you make on that job. It involves with how you live in life. It involves your attitude toward life itself. And in those processes, God is working a character, and that character will last for eternity. And that character that God is working is a people that will do His will. It's as simple as that. See, it isn't important this morning whether you become wealthy or whether you're a comer. What is important is that you do the will of God. Thank God for people that are prospered by business. I thank God for that. That's a proof that God has placed within man the talent and the creativity, and it is not wrong to prosper. Thank God for every person who begins to rise and achieve in various areas of life, whatever that may be. Thank God for those people. But it isn't important how high you rise or the position that you achieve. What is important is, have you done the will of God? Because God is looking for a people in eternity that will work His will because God is working something that's far beyond your grasp and that which He's working is a people to which He can delegate His purpose in eternity. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, the balanced life. There are people in this building this evening, this morning rather, that God is working in facets of daily life to deal with you, to bring you to a surrender to His will. Surrender to His will. It isn't whether you can achieve a formula to confess and possess some goody that you're after. What really is important is what does God want for you? And I want you to know that if God's will is not what you're trying to confess, then you're in deep trouble, friend. You're trying to become a God of your own life. 
You're trying to cause God to be your servant boy, the genie that that jumps out of the bottle and obeys your every whim and every desire. God delivers from life where men could become gods and begin to create and confess whatever the whim of the moment may have been. What a miserable life. But rather the Word of God lets us understand that this morning as we live for God and are faithful to God and obey God, God then begins to move upon us and the labors that we labor in His will, those are the things that He begins to bless and to begin to breathe upon and begins to aim towards His eternal purpose as we obey Him in life. While we're pausing for a moment in this building, there are people that God has been dealing with. It is not the will of God that any man should perish, but every man should come to repentance unto life eternal. The thing that Jesus Christ has come into earth and died upon a cross and was buried and raised from the dead to accomplish is reconciliation of God and man, a bringing man to the end of himself and bringing man a place of peace a place of forgiveness, a place of relationship, a place of acceptance in God's will. Perhaps I'm talking to people this morning that have never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, have never ever been born again, have never ever known the joy and the peace that come by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want you to know He's here this morning. Before I change the order of this service to other things, His love is reaching out. His compassion is drawing you unto Himself. Maybe you don't understand a lot of what I've been saying this morning. But the one thing you do understand while you've been sitting here is that Jesus Christ is at work in hearts and lives here. And you need Him to become your Savior. You need God to do a work for you. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to sign any kind of creed. I'm asking you to get your heart right with God. God's in this place. The Lord Jesus is at work among these believers. And there's a number of people this morning who need God. I wonder before I change the order to other things, how many people would say, Pastor, I'm not saved this morning, but I'd really like to get my heart right with God. Can you pray for me before you change the order of this service? I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Would you lift your hand there where you're seated, that I may see it in the presence of God? Would you lift your hand right there where you're seated? I may see it and pray for you, and God's going to meet your need. I'm going to change the order of this service to other things in a moment. How many all over the building would lift your hand? Say, Preacher... Would you pray for me? There's no one looking around. No one's moving around. Would you lift your hand up and hold it there for a moment? Christ is in this place to do a work in your heart. Would you just slip that hand up? God's dealing with your heart. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I'll come in. Figurative language, he's saying, If you'll just take that first step and open your heart, Jesus Christ will begin to minister to you and help you this morning. How many would lift your hand where you're saved and say, I need help, Pastor. I need God. My heart's not right with God. I'm not saved. Would you lift that hand? God bless an honest heart back here. How many more? Lift your hand. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I need God this morning. Would you remember me in prayer before you change the order of the service? Backslider. Maybe you've known the Lord, but this morning you're away from God and you have no peace in your heart. But you want to go out of this place with peace. Would you slip your hand right up where you're seated all over this building? I need God. I'm a backslider. I've known the Lord at one time, but I'm away from God. I see another hand over here. You can put it down. How many more? Lift your hand. 
Say, Preacher, I need God this morning. Would you pray for me before you change the order of this service? How many more? Lift your hand. Take that step. God's dealing with your heart. This is the Spirit of the Lord in love dealing with you. He wants to draw you to Himself. How many more? Well, lift your hand. Join these. All right, changing the order of the service just for a moment. The people that are seated here in this building that perhaps because of wrong teaching or false concept, you've been disappointed in life and what you thought was a Christian life. It hasn't worked out. Like you thought it was going to be, you thought it was a great big sugar train where you just, anything you wanted, God's just going to give you and you've read the books on formula and you've been caught up and you've been scarred in your heart because you've tried to make the formula work and it didn't work. And you said, well, Christianity didn't work. That wasn't Christianity, friend. That was some man's interpretation. And there are people here in this building this morning have been wounded in your spirit. You've been scarred in your life this morning because you have sought to make a formula work. And God says, I'm not going to give you a magical formula. I'm going to bless the work of your hands that you do in my will. I wonder how many with uplifted hand would say this morning, Pastor, this morning Spirit of God is dealing with me, and I've been scarred, I've been sidetracked, I've been deceived, I've been off track, but right now this morning... I hear what God's saying. I'm going to line my life out with the Word of God. Would you slip your hand up right where you are? I see hands going up. Amen. Amen. Just hold them up there for a moment before the presence of God. How many more? Lift your hand. Say, this morning God's been speaking to me. Lift your hand right there where you're seated. God's going to touch your heart. It's not a magic formula, friend. It's not a magic formula. It isn't whether you and I make thousands a week or... $75 a week. What is the real key is, is whether we're in the will of God. And whether we have a plan that honors God with what we are making. There are people sitting here this morning that you're not honoring God with what you do make. You've got a wrong concept. I want you to know that God is a blesser. He never takes without giving. This parable teaches us this morning that God who says, I want you to labor in my will and fulfill my plan. His highest objective is your blessing. His highest objective is your furtherance and your prosperity and your glory in Christ Jesus as you walk in the will of God. This is what his plan for your life is. And there are people here this morning that are not honoring God in your finances. You have no plan with which God is honored, and because you have no plan, the devil deceives you and uses you and condemns you and has destroyed the very fruits of your hands. You need a plan. That plan is found in the Word of God. The tenth is the Lord's. And then perhaps offerings that He will deal with you about. Others, maybe God's dealing with you. Lift your hand up right where you're seated. We're going to change the order of the service in just one quick moment. God's dealing with your heart. You lift your hand right now. He's speaking to your heart. We're going to stand and sing that chorus. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. There's some people here this morning, you've got a wrong attitude about work. You viewed your job as a drag. Perhaps we've got young women in here this morning that you're just waiting to, some guy would just come across your path. You'd say yes, just so you could get out of work. I want you to know marriage is more work than any job. Besides that, 
work is an honorable part of God's plan and development in the human animal. He paid a debt he did not owe. Let's stand together and sing about these altars are open. God's dealing with many hearts. Would you come? He